So it's 8.18. Our radio salon welcomes our regular pair of intellectual thinkers, exchanging their views on current issues with myself trapped in between, although with some pleasure. Uh, It's always great to have the opportunity to delve deeper into some of the issues encircling us. Professor Choi Kyung from Hong University Law School, you've brought in our first topic today. Good morning. Good morning, Alex. Uh, Let's also just say welcome to Mr. Jung Hwang, independent legal researcher from Law Quan LLC. Morning, Alex. So, Professor Cho, you're going to go straight in with one of the country's biggest controversies, biggest tragedies of recent years. Yes, indeed. Uh, so yesterday, the Public um, Prosecution Office launched a new investigation into the Sewol ferry disaster. As everybody knows, it's the worst ferry disaster in our modern history. And although it happened five years ago, there are still so many unanswered questions that remain. And just recently, we discovered that one of the uh, high school students, Tanongo students, who was rescued out of the water, but who was in a critical condition, uh, was about to be transported to the nearest hospital by the Coast Guard helicopter, but then at the last minute was taken off the helicopter because it was commandeered for some sort of high-ranking official with the Coast Guard. And the student, uh, in the end, he couldn't be helped uh, once he got to the hospital because it was just too late. Yeah, I, I read, uh, although it was a translated source, so maybe you could clarify, uh, that it was several boats he was transferred from one to the other. Exactly, yes. You know, it was like that that movie, you know, by train, by boat, by plane, whatever. Mm. So, you know, he was almost on the helicopter and then he was taken off it and then he was um, transferred across to land uh, on a small boat and then he had to uh, be you know, put in a, a, a different vehicle. He was basically transferred at least four times mm. during that sort of journey to to the hospital, which took, you know, more than four hours. More than four hours, and he was declared dead on arrival. Pretty much, yes. Um, you know, he, yeah. Yeah, so the the implication, of course we can never say for sure, but the implication is that he would have survived if, if he'd gone on the helicopter. The doctors are saying that they could have done something to try to revive him uh, if he had been taken to the hospital a little bit earlier. Chong Hung, bringing you into this conversation, for years we've had protesters demanding the truth of the Sewol disaster and critics have sort of said, well, how much truth do you want? We've got all these uh, prosecutions already, we've got these punishments handed down, we've had the, the questions of how the, the vessel was allowed to sail in the first place, how the corruption took place behind the scenes, with the overloading potentially of the vessel, the, the way it lost balance the botched rescue, the questions about what the president was doing for a few hours. Uh, and yet, this case has shown us further surprises with this awful story of the helicopter. Right. I mean, I guess those it, it, these would be, you know, sort of details that you know, haven't really come up. Although, fundamentally speaking, I mean, yes, in this uh, particular helicopter case may have contributed to the student's death or... May not. I mean, we don't really know, like, whether he could have been saved if he was, you know, uh, transported right away. But at least, you know, uh, we do know that there was, you know, uh, this unfortunate delay that was caused by, the, you know, the helicopters commandeered by uh, high-ranking officials. And yeah. um, on the other hand, you know, it's not really clear that, you know, 
this is going to really result in any kind of criminal uh, wrongdoing finding, but we'll we'll see. Sorry, jump in first, Professor Cho, and then I'll ask you the next question. Yes, I mean, you know, outstanding, among the outstanding issues are things like, you know, allegations that the Coast Guard actually erased some of the footage um, of the the scene of the disaster um, to basically try to cover up uh, their negligence or wrongdoing, um, and that had never been resolved. You've just mentioned the litany of all of those um, uh, issues and controversies that were being investigated in the by the first um, special committee that mm. uh, conducted the inquiry into the disaster. But that was completely beset by so many obstacles, if you remember, because the committee itself was made of... Um, members from both the the then opposition party and the the party in power and at the time it was almost as if the the members from the party in power were actually doing everything that they could to obstruct the inquiry rather than actually help it and so uh, a lot of people criticized the 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 conduct and as well as the outcome of the first inquiry and you know after moon admi- administration came into power they then set up a second inquiry that sort of looked into what had gone wrong as well as um, what had happened you know, during the first inquiry, but that didn't really produce all the answers. And so now um, it's the first time that the, public, the Office of Public Prosecution uh, has launched an investigation and not just an inquiry into the disaster. I wanted to ask you, though, it's supposed to be neutral. They've said they're going to be neutral. Can state prosecutors truly be neutral? Well, that's the point I wanted to come to also, because the question is, why now, all of a sudden? Um, Because they had plenty of opportunities to do an independent uh, investigation uh, alongside the criminal investigation that they were conducting as part of the the wider inquiry, uh, a separate independent special investigation themselves. Um, But why now? Uh, And if you also look at the composition of the people who are leading the the investigation, it's also quite interesting. So some people are speculating as to whether this isn't a kind of um, uh, an escape hatch by the prosecution to try to essentially deflect the criticism that they are facing as a result of the Choguk um, uh investigation or scandal um, because they've had a similar experience before under No Mu-hyun administration when there was a big push for prosecutorial reform and then the prosecution office conducted this huge investigation into um, campaign finance um, uh, corruption and they were kind of you know held hailed as heroes and the calls for reform sort of you know died down as well. Zhang Huang the uh, the question of being able to trust this investigation is very important. Would you put faith in the state prosecution to once and for all lay this to rest? Well, I think uh, they're going to have a tough time because you know uh, both both kind of the uh, left wing side of the country and the right wing side of the country uh, have uh, plenty of you know, grounds to sort of suspect kind of conspiracy theories. I mean, on the left wing side, as Professor Joe mentioned, this could be a you know escape back hatch for the whole uh, after the very contentious struggle affair. But on the other uh, on, on the other hand, you know already the largest conservative dailies in Korea are saying that this is the you know kind of the, the uh, aim toward aim 
aimed with a view for next year's election. And this is a you know, view to kind of embarrass the, the, the main opposition party, in particular, Hwang g y o w a n who was, you know, the prime minister. Uh, well, was he prime minister? I think he was the justice minister. He was the justice minister. He was the justice minister. He took over as prime minister after... Park Geun-hye was... Um, no, the, he was the acting president after... That Park was Geun-hye right. Because he was prime was, minister, he became he, acting president. He, indeed. He, he, he you know, was promoted from you know, uh, the, the justice minister to prime right. minister. But you know, he, he was obviously sort of engaged with... You know, well, suspected of engaging with various cover-ups that actually did happen about Selwar Pafari. Well, of course, Hwang uh, Gyo-an having this extremely prominent role right now, having recently shaved his head, in case you're not too familiar with Korean politics and you've seen... that going on on the news. Yes, he is the leader of the main opposition conservative camp and surely a key figure going into not only the parliamentary elections but also potentially the presidential election after that. But uh, we'll have a chance to discuss a little bit further. Um, We are going to continue our radio salon in a few minutes. First, let's catch up with your latest hourly bulletin. Good morning. It's 8.30. You're listening to our radio salon here on TBS EFM's This Morning. And Professor Choi Kyung from Hong Kong University Law School brought in the topic of this new investigation into the Sewol Ferry disaster, something that has been called for for a long time, an independent probe to finally, once and for all, establish the truth. And the truth is not like one thing. This could be huge. Just as an indication, families are taking legal action against 122 officials, including the conservative leader here, Hwang Yuan, according to the recent announcement following the revelation of a scandal that we were just talking about, uh, just to briefly remind you or, or catch you up if you're just joining us, the, the helicopter that never took a, a student in need who was picked up from the water, took over four hours to reach hospital and died. And the, qu- the question is, would he have survived if a helicopter had taken him instead of a high-ranking Coast Guard official? We'll never know. Uh, we also have Mr. Jung Hwang. independent legal researcher with Lawquant LLC, and you'll be introducing your topic in a few moments. I'd like to ask you both, though, uh, do, you, do you think an independent probe needs an international arbitrator? How, how do you ensure independence of this kind of investigation? Well, this is really the, the problem because many people are sceptical that this investigation will actually managed to uncover truth, particularly given who the head, head of the investigation team is. And it's actually um, uh, someone who's working as the head prosecutor in Ansan district office of the public prosecution team. And he is the prosecutor that had actually covered up the Jung Yun-hye document scandal. If you recall, he, Jung Yun-hye was, used to be the husband of Choi s u n s i l who is now in, in jail. And um, And at the time, people were arguing that if he hadn't, if this incident hadn't been covered up, then Choi s u n s i l wouldn't have been able to get so much involved in running of the country, and Park Geun-hye's impeachment may never have happened. Um, and so that's by, a serious butterfly effect, isn't it? Exactly. So by covering this this up, you know, he really completely failed to to not only his duty as a prosecutor, but basically. Um, contributed to the, the you know, sort of national scandal that ensued. But not only that case, uh, another sort of case involving um, a 
high-profile sort of suicide of an industrialist called Song Wanjong, who left a list of um, politicians and high-ranking public servants and others that he paid bribes to. But that investigation also never went anywhere. Um, he was also involved in what people claim to be the wrongful prosecution of former um, Prime Minister uh, Han Myung-suk. I remember, um, yeah. And so he's sort of like slightly, shall we say, tainted with by all these kind of prosecutorial um, misinvestigations, let's say. I'd like to ask you uh, also the same question, but broaden it out, Jung Hwang. Uh, if we think of, for example, another maritime disaster, although a very different cause, one would suspect the, the Chonan disaster going back to 2010. There, there was an international probe, wasn't there, to try to establish whether, for example, North Korea was responsible. And even now it's disputed, both here at home and abroad. Um, it, in other words, it's quite hard with these sorts of very contentious investigations to provide an answer that everyone's going to agree on. Yeah, once um, an incident is kind of tainted ideologically, kind of, you know, Create has having created a couple of political divisions. I think it's going to be impossible to please everyone. And you know, in several fairy case already, you know, there are kind of loud enough voices out there saying that hey, we are kind of sick and tired of this. Can we just move on? I think there's sufficient of voices out there, which will actually lead to you know even more conspiracy theories kind of you know spreading mm. among those who want to believe it. The, well, yeah. the Sewol Ferry disaster, more than anything else, really reminded me of the Hillsborough disaster that happened in England. And even in that case, and even in England, where people actually do respect law enforcement and people actually like their police um, and have respect for uh, judges and prosecutors, even there, uh, truth was covered up for more than 20 years and it was only in 2009, 20 years after the disaster happened, that a separate royal commission was set up and they uh, did a wholesale investigation into what really went on, how much the police tried to cover up, uh, and so on and so forth. So, yeah. Well, it, it, that word Hillsborough, I remember it very well at the time, but it still holds this power just to say the word. Uh, and, and, I, and it certainly has altered the way people will enjoy or not enjoy football matches. Just to remind anyone who's um, not familiar, it was actually a very similar time of year, April 15th, 1989. It was the FA Cup semi-final at Hillsborough Stadium, which is actually in Sheffield, the home ground of Sheffield Wednesday. Um, Liverpool were involved in that game, and it was just the Liverpool area where their fans were, where 96 fans were killed, another 766 were injured. It was a deadly crush because the central pens at the Leppings Lane end became overcrowded. It Too many people complete, had been allowed in. Yes, it was a complete man-made disaster and police had a huge part in creating or you know, giving cause, uh, giving rise to the cause of that disaster. And they really tried to cover it up, even to the extent of making um, innocent teenagers into hooligans and alcoholics. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's, it was an awful, awful thing to watch unfold. Uh, and and the way in which the stadium was constructed with the barriers at the front meant that people had nowhere to go. And uh, it was just horrible. Um and as I said, you don't see the stadia structured in that way and people often aren't even able to stand at football games yes. at the highest so level in England. What I'm hoping for with the Sewol disaster is that we are not still, after 20 years, discussing that 
you know, we still haven't uncovered the truth about what happened. B- by the way, um, we mentioned the uh, 96 Liberal fans killed there. Of course, 72 deaths in the wake of the um, Grenfell Tower fire in, in London. Uh, that That is, if anything, also a very good comparison back in 2017 um, because of the the way it's affecting politics right now in Britain, the way in which people feel that, that a lot of injustice was done and right. it's not been uncovered. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do have a message here from 8849 talking about the, the former uh, scandal. We're talking about the Prime Minister Han Myung-suk and also Song Wan-jong saying, I'd completely forgotten about these names. I think Sewol is an accumulated result of the ignorance of people who hold power. And indeed, that's what the candlelight revolution was supposed to be all about, wasn't it? Yes. Shining light to, to rid that. What do, you, uh, do you want to have a say on this, Zhong Huang? Well, I guess sometimes the more, the more things change, I guess the more things stay the same, as pithy as that sounds. And, and you know, um, tomorrow is Sunung Day, right? And I think the parents of the, the students who were victims of the Sewol disaster must feel fresh pain every time every this sunum. kind of anniversary rolls around because e- every sunum. yeah the, the the students would have would be what finally university students if they had gone mm. on to you know take sunung and gone on to university so i really really feel for them when um, at this time of year particularly well i'm sure it's every chuseok every solal yes, every yes, family gathering absolutely. but particularly mm. moments that would have directly affected those teenagers Uh, and of course, there were victims who weren't high school students as well. Some even younger. Um, awful. Still, the pain resonates. Let's take your mention of Sunglu to switch up our topics today. Uh, over to you, Zhang Huang. Yep. Uh, I guess you know, in honor of having the Sunung, which is probably the biggest deal in many young young people's lives in South Korea. Thought you know, we'll kind of take a step back and kind of look at uh, the recent debates surrounding the Korea, South Korea's uh, education system, and we already kind of mentioned the Chogu controversy. And one byproduct of that controversy has been that you know there's been increased uh, social debates about whether the Korean college entrance process is fair or not. Uh, and you know a lot of news details about how Joguk's fa- family may have g- gamed the college and graduate school entrance processes. There has been you know a widespread concern that the whole system has become a further ground for manipulation for those with you know uh, high, uh, ample resources and connections. Uh, in response to that, uh, the education ministry just released a, a public poll about how to improve the Korean uh, education system uh, just uh, a couple of days ago, and it actually you know, showed interesting uh, results about the public response. And also, there's uh, a couple of a, few, a number of uh, the, the bills at the national assembly that actually seeks to kind of you know prevent another Chogul affair by ha- having investigating uh, many high-ranking officials. And lawmakers' children. Okay, so unfairness seems to start right from the beginning here. The government has already tried to do things like limit English language education in elementary school at the beginning. But when you've got a situation where wealthier parents have already been educating their very young kids either abroad or in international kindergartens, <laughs> The, when English is such a barometer of, uh, of, of academic ability, Professor Cho, it, it seems like already at, at toddler age, people are starting to 
big distance from one another. You know, I really feel that this is kind of a lost cause. The government is trying to sort of try to level the playing ground, uh, playing field for everybody. But when you have the resources, you are always wanting to, you know, do the best for your children, no, no matter what. And Joguk's scandal really partly stems, I think, from, you know, um, the wife's desire to do, try to do her best for, for her children, uh, in essence. We don't know what the truth is yet uh, in that uh, case either. But from what we are seeing and reading, um, that's sort of what I surmise. But if you have the resources, wouldn't you want the best for your children? And can the government really, through policies and laws, stop you from doing that? You know, I've got the dilemma right now. And it's a slightly different dilemma because I'm foreign and it's not quite got the English language tinge to it. But still... You know, I don't know. I, I, I feel I've always believed in public school here, but I, I'm being severely tested right now with my younger kids because um, I'm just not sure whether the the public school education system on its own will will be sufficient. And not only that, I, I I'm not sure whether they need to go to hagwons or not. I've always pushed up against like late night hagwons, but I can see in subjects like maths how. You know, my my younger son is asking me questions that he doesn't know the answer to. Frankly, they're quite difficult even for parents to tackle. And he's like eight years old. And I'm thinking, is he supposed to be going to some two hours of maths every day in order to know the answers? This On will, top of school, I mean. Uh, this, this will be a dilemma for you. Uh, but if you are intending to educate uh, your children in the Korean school system, I think at some point you will inevitably have to accept... Uh, you know, that they will have to have some help from academies or some tutoring or something because the way that the system is set up currently, um, it's not enough for you to be just studying the curriculum given in the school, it seems. Yeah. If you, if you want it to be competitive with the other students, you basically have to keep up and you need to resort to outside the school system to do that. I mean, I don't mind, Zhang Huang, I don't mind a little bit of extra help here or there. That happens all over the world, but it's this obsession with having to put in a number of hours every week on various subjects, not necessarily subjects that someone's just falling behind on, but rather to try to get ahead. And when everyone's racing against each other, as Professor Cho pointed out very rightly, when it's your own child, you're not necessarily going to be the one to stand up and say on a basic principle, no, I'm not going to do that with my child. Well, it kind of I mean, I, I want to sort of step back from this debate in a little bit, and it kind of raises two kind of disturbing issues for me. One, well, first disturbing issue is that, well, you know, if every children is, you know, put put through this kind of red race, I mean, what, you know, what kind of childhood are, are they really having? I mean, isn't that, can, we, can we perceive that perhaps the children of families with ample resources are actually put through help in part of the childhood? On the other hand, you know, the question is fairness. You know, if these resources are put in to put, you know, certain students within from wealthy families put in an advantage, is that really fair for everyone? And, you know, I think that kind of presupposes that somehow 
whatever college you go to, whatever graduate school goes to, you know, somehow will lead to a big payoff in the in the, the, the whole uh, in the social scheme. And I think that uh, assumption may needs needs to be examined as well. Well, I'm certainly not advocating that the current system is good or that we should follow it. But as long as the current system and the attitude and the culture in society uh, remains that, you know, whichever university you went to basically determines um, the likelihood of success in your future, uh, nothing's really going to change. That was really the point that I was trying to make. Right. But given that we have a rapidly decreasing student population, so just four years ago, we had about you know, more than 600,000 students taking Suneng. This year, it's down to 540,000. So that's mm-hmm. like you know, a decrease of 10% in less than five years. That's, you know, that's an astonishing uh, yeah. you know, decrease in number. And if that continues, we are going to have such a dwindling you know, po- student population that half of the universities in the country are going to be not necessary, right? And so I always but is university back. necessary? Let's, exactly. let's get to that question. I always come back to this, this question of, you know, what is a university for? Because it's really, in Korea, it's basically a fast track uh, to a certain, you know, uh, hierarchy in the society, certain social status, um, possibly a guarantee of success. It used to be, certainly, if you went to the right university, you could be guaranteed a job at a, a prestigious company and you could be set up for life. Through your networks, etc., etc., but that certainly isn't the case any longer. Mm. And do we really need to continue with this selective testing uh, and sort students out from one to whatever five hundred forty thousandth in the in the land and sort of determine where they're going to get go to university based on that? Because so many students I teach choose their major just based on the, their test scores and not they, what they really want to do exactly. or what they're interested in. And it's such a waste of time. And do, do you know, I was just, um, well, we interviewed actually recently on the show, Robert Greene, you know, who's behind the famous book, The 48 Laws of Power and um, 33 Laws of War. I, I, I don't want to remember all the titles, but the, the, the book that I was focusing on more recently was Mastery. And, uh, and in that book, which is seen as sort of condensing a lot of the knowledge that he's built up through his writing. He talks about how everybody has these childlike interests and that is a big clue to all of us as to where our career choices should lie. And it's a lot more complex than that, but... But also how he himself did many, many different things over the mm. course of his life. Uh, he'd been a journalist and he wasn't really enjoying that. Working in Hollywood, not really enjoying that. But later when he became this author, he realized that all those experiences combined together to, to make him what he was and what he is now. If we're limiting our kids' experiences and not allowing them to experience their own passions from a very early age, mm. l- like you said, Jong Hong, what kind of people are we raising? I mean, doesn't look like a very positive outcome. 
No, I mean, that's part of the reason why you know, South Korea is so status conscious in the sense that, you know, based on certain schools or whatever you studied at the age of 19, based on certain test scores, their perception is that somehow that you know, brands you as a certain kind of person and you're put into a certain kind of ranking system and somehow that carries for the rest of, rest of your life. Whether that's actually true or not, certainly that is true enough in you know, most parents' minds that they are willing to put in so much resources to you know, give their uh, children uh, in, in this, um, uh, this kind of a red race. And in the end, uh, you know, if you kind of step back on it, it becomes a big social loss. Professor Cho, if you can't limit what wealthier parents are going to do to go to any length to make sure their kids have an advantage, at least in some cases... difficult to uh, generalize with everybody um, or, or certainly not desirable to generalize but but professor cho can you make changes from the top can you in other words change the structure of the sunung exam so that there's no incentive for people to to enter into this level of competition well it's actually not changing the structure of sunung itself but uh, increasing the proportion of sunung so that uh, more people would basically have to take sunung to get into university rather than having to rely on this, these other methods where wealth of your parents, the students' parents, would matter a lot more. And so the move to abolish things like specialized schools, you know, foreign language high schools, uh, independent schools, all of that is really sort of geared towards uh, standardizing schools and, try, and trying to equalize or level the playing field. But I just don't think it's going to work. What if we just said, though, what if we as South Korea, and both of you as educators uh, or have been educators, what if we just stood up and said, look, let's change the paradigm. Real life doesn't work like exams. Real life doesn't work like memorization. Real life doesn't work like many of these old-fashioned subjects operate. Let's change the way of assessment. Let's change the way of teaching. And the other world... countries will look at us and think, wow, that's adventurous, and, and maybe we'll end up with something far more practical and appropriate. Well, actually, you know, they did that already, you know, already 20 years ago, and this is why they introduced this you know, comprehensive student assessment or hakjong, right, um, type of assessment where you, your admission, college admission is not just based on your test scores, but um, all sorts of other extracurricular activities that you might have had or um, things that would show your creativity and potential as a person, right? And not just based on your exam scores. But uh, th- that has been sort of shown to be misused through this uh, right. scandal. Yeah. And so they are trying to s- narrow the scope. But the criticism that's been leveled against the government's move to try to do that is that those problems have already been highlighted. You know, they're trying to address problems that were spotted already 10 years ago. Um, and that have been fixed, and it's a complete knee-jerk reaction. And we got 2315 saying more and more, it doesn't seem like a definite requirement to go to a university, but you know how society still selects people based on their resume. How else will they filter qualified candidates? And as you just pointed out, Professor Cho, I mean, even if you've got no money in the equation, some students are, you know, maybe talented, but, you know, at the age of 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, they might be a little bit badly behaved. The teacher might be frustrated with them. They, they might be tempted. They late bloomers. Yeah, know. they might not give them a great assessment. Right. And then they don't even have a test maybe then to prove themselves otherwise. It, it feels like we're talking about some of the other sweeping subjects, Jung Hwang, like democracy, just like there's no perfect way 
of doing this, so we just have to go with the best of a bad bunch of options. What, what's your view? Yeah, but on the other hand, there are some obvious signs that you know the system is quite you know performing quite poorly in the sense that you know, think about all the resources that South Korea as a nation puts into English education, all the hagwons and language schools and so forth. You think that after that, you know, entire South Korea will be you know English Korean is a bilingual country. The fact that that's not kind of shows that how poor the returns on the education and investment is. Thank you very much, both of you. We've got to close our radio cell on there, Professor Cho Jung Hwang. Always a pleasure. Thank Thank you. you.